I did my disaster training and I paid a certain amount of attention to it, but I wasn't thinking really that I was ever going to be in this position. And the most important thing for me is to pass on to another mayor out there somewhere, know what your role is in a disaster. And as important as knowing what your role is, know what your role isn't. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Kate Meese, Executive Director of the Local Government Commission. Our regular host, Mike Hancocks, is off today. We are continuing our series of episodes leading up to the New Partners for Smart Growth Conference, which will be held in San Francisco from February 1st through 3rd. New Partners is the nation's largest smart growth conference and uh, largest sustainability event. The program will feature a range of topics, including a special session on our topic for today, wildfire recovery in wine country community revitalization, and housing futures. You won't want to miss the conference, so register now at newpartners.org. Our guests today are Santa Rosa Mayor Chris Corsi and Tennis Wick, Sonoma County's Permit and Resource Management Director. They're joining us to discuss recovery efforts after the devastating fires that ravaged Northern California. So first off, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's certainly been a, a tough year and our condolences go out to all the people impacted by these fires. And if you could just start out, maybe Mayor Corsi taking the, the first um, stab at this, can you start out by giving us an update of where the recovery efforts stand in Santa Rosa? I know a lot of people are, are following this story and we're really devastated by by seeing all the damage. And I think a lot of our listeners would Love to hear where things stand at this point. Sure. Thank you, Kate. Um, recovery uh, can mean so many things to so many different people, but I think that generally when we, when we think about it, it's in the, in the physical realm and, and specifically in the rebuilding of about 3,000 homes that were lost in Santa Rosa. It's been, as we speak today, almost three months since the fire. Just before I got on this call, I was on the phone with the local newspaper uh, and they were asking me to comment on the, the first building that's going on, the first rebuilding that's going on in Coffee Park, which is one of our neighborhoods that was just completely leveled by by the fire on October 8th and 9th. Today is a milestone in that way. Um, we do have one home that's under construction, and I think there, are, there may be some in the county environment as well, but within the city of Santa Rosa, there's one home that's permitted and under reconstruction now. To me, that seems remarkable and remarkably fast. I'm sure to people who have been living in hotels or their sister's spare bedroom for the past three months, it, that doesn't seem very fast, but we are on our way. We have set up a, a completely separate permitting department for the folks who are going to be rebuilding 3,000 homes, and hopefully that's working to get them 
back as soon as possible. That's great. And Tennis, I imagine the, the county of Sonoma is following a similar trajectory. We are. We've been working very closely in the city. It's been a pleasure. And we too are a bittersweet in marking this date because we've got the uh, the first of uh, 17 structures that we re-permitted in the burn zone that's final, uh, 16 more to go. And to just put that in perspective, the city has an enormous task in front of them in rebuilding Coffee Park because so much of the infrastructure serving that community was completely destroyed below the ground and above. That is less so the condition in the Kings County, so we are able to issue some permits in advance. Um, my uh, hat goes off to the city and all the incredible work they're doing to, I think, make Coffee Park in many ways a better subdivision physically uh, than was there before. And we too will be having a permit center open uh, by the uh, end of January, uh, very much modeled after what the city's doing. And right now we're just giving a uh, of review to the uh, 17 permits so far. And the one we have in pre-issuance, which is our way of holding a permit until uh, debris clearance is uh, given by the environmental health officer. That's great. I think one thing that our, not all our listeners may be aware of is that housing was already a, a huge challenge in the Sonoma region. I think I've read that, that before the fires, the rental vacancy rate was 3% in Sonoma County and just 1% in Santa Rosa. And the fires resulted in a loss of an estimated 5% of the housing stock in Santa Rosa. So there's a, a huge uphill battle that um, the region is having to, to take on. And it's great to hear that there's some efforts to, to manage the permitting process and make that a little easier for folks. Santa Rosa and Sonoma County aren't, aren't much different from any other coastal area of California. We've, we've had a housing shortage. We've got uh, some real problems that were already bad before the fire and they were exacerbate, exacerbated by the fire. But in, in a lucky way, both the county and the city were well on our way to, to working on those problems before the fire started. So we have, have some, some policy in place. We have definitely a community that's behind us to get these, these homes rebuilt, but not just rebuild what, what's gone, but also create additional housing at the same time. And that's one of the big challenges in front of us is not just to replace the houses that are gone, but but to make sure that we are creating more housing at the same time. So we've got to walk and chew gum at the same time right now. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I think it's clearly there's a, a big push to want to get people back in their houses and back in their businesses. But, you know, Tennis, you mentioned that there's also a desire to rebuild, for example, the, the Coffee Park neighborhood in a way that is even better and more resilient. So can you talk a little more about how you're balancing those goals of an affordable housing and resource conservation with other goals like transit-oriented development and more infill in this time of post-disaster recovery? And it's important for people to know that while we plan for additional housing and the city and the county have a joint housing task force, we meet at least twice weekly in identifying targeted projects to build the housing the mayor was talking about, and that's trying to build that around, focusing on transit-oriented development, building housing close to jobs, and all this is in addition to the reconstruction housing. People should know that we're doing this with full respect to the urban growth boundaries, full respect to the community separators, all of which have been passed by the people. So we are talking about truly infill development. 
So Kate, mo- most of that infill development opportunity, or much of it anyway, is, is within the, the city of Santa Rosa. And not so much in places like Coffee Park or Fountain Grove, which are their two big neighborhoods in Santa Rosa that burned, but outside of the burn zones in, in the downtown area of Santa Rosa, along the Highway 101 corridor, um, along the new smart commuter train corridor, we have uh, a lot of opportunities to build multifamily, higher density, taller buildings. And that's what I was talking about that we were working on before the fire. And and one of the silver linings of this of this cloud that we have hanging over to us right now is that the fire has put a spotlight on Santa Rosa and Sonoma County as a place where building is going to be happening. And so we're getting more interest, frankly, in, in areas outside the fire zone from developers who are who are interested in doing that that higher density housing downtown. That's great to hear. And I think one of the reasons it's so important to be focusing on that sort of development is that we know one of the challenges around fire prevention and disaster relief is that a lot more people live in areas at risk. In fact, since the late 1970s, the number of Americans living in the wildland urban interface has doubled, and now 60% of new homes have been built on that wildland urban interface um, since the 19, since 1990. So we have more structures threatened by fires, and it's costing government more to evacuate residents. So thinking about how to plan for the future to mitigate that risk is going to be really critical. And that's a great point. You bring up some very uh, current statistics that apply statewide. Fortunately, in Sonoma County, uh, while we did have quite a run of rural residential development, we've seen very, very few new lots approved in the rural residential and uh, severe fire zones. And as the mayor said, we really are focusing on the city center corridor. I don't think any of us expected uh, a place like Hockey Park. And this is really uh, an impact that was hitting our entire economy before the fire and even more so afterward. So uh, I think it's incumbent upon our entire subregion, all 10 local governments, to realize that the solution just isn't in the unincorporated county in Santa Rosa, but throughout Sonoma County. Uh, SMART has some prime property set for medium and high density housing right along the rail port, right around the rail stations. In my hometown of Petaluma, there's at least nine acres that's available for development now. Uh, and I hope uh, that all Sonomans realize that they're part of the solution. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think there's a growing awareness that climate change is increasing the potential for these large firestorms. And so if we look at solutions like infill development, you get twofold. You're you're mitigating the risk of climate change with development that has less impact on the land and on the region, and you're also putting um, less housing and less people in danger from the types of fires that unfortunately will be increasingly possible with with the dry periods we've had and and some of the other factors that come with climate change. So you both talked a little bit about changing setting up a a different department to streamline permitting for new development. As you think about that new development, are there ways that you're trying to change the the building codes or landscaping to make sure that as as the region is redeveloped, that the buildings are more fire resistant in the future? We are applying the current building code, which has many uh, fire safe features built into it, the type of materials, and the market's already responded by providing those kind of materials. 
uh, cement composite siding for homes, uh, reducing the uh, depth or existence of sockets altogether, which can be an architectural feature that foments fire once the building catches. There have been a number of different things that the current code and construction industry has done to account for the fire scene. Additionally, when it comes to landscaping around buildings, there's something called the uh, Water Efficiency Landscape Ordinance, or WELA, which incorporates fire safe measures around landscaping as well as drought tolerance. So a lot of the reconstruction is going to be of older homes, post-World War II homes, with currently code compliant. So I think the net result, obviously with uh, unspeakable tragedy, but the net result will be safer. And beyond the, the safety measures that Tennis is talking about, one of our aspirational goals right now is to help people rebuild to a a more energy efficient standard than is even required by code at by existing code we're hoping that we can find some some grant money philanthropic uh, money to help and encourage people to build it to a net zero energy footprint uh, on new homes we're actively looking at ways to do that. And I understand you you have a property assessed clean energy uh, in the region. Is that have you utilized that to, to make some of these help with some of these upgrades in terms of financing that could be paid back through the savings? Well, at, at this point, the PACE program hasn't been brought into into this conversation that that I'm aware of. That's more of an individual choice. Uh, what we're talking about is using our our CCA our Sonoma Clean Power to uh, to be a financing agency to uh, kind of a pass through if we can get some grants to to get people additional financing for solar for water saving features uh, for energy efficient appliances and and energy efficient uh, construction methods for passive energy and those types of things to create net zero energy houses when when they're done rebuilding. So having those resources will clearly be an incentive and, and help as people think about upgrading in a way that will be more resource um, efficient and probably result in savings over time, but can have higher upfront costs. So that'll be critical. Right. And, and a lot of people are finding already that they're, you know, they're, they're underinsured and, and just just rebuilding to the same standard is, is going to be difficult. Rebuilding to current code is going to be difficult. So we don't we don't want to put any any requirements on people to build beyond code that we can't um, help them pay for. And one other thing that is really coming up that's related to what the mayor just imparted is that we are acknowledging that the cost of construction, which is incredibly high right now here, uh, anecdotally before the fire was anywhere between. Hundred and fifty and two hundred dollars a square foot, and as of last week, some of the informal sources that we use for determining it's as high as three hundred and seventy-five dollars. So, what we're asking people to do in our weekly meetings with block captains is think about building income streams and meeting some of our housing needs into the reconstruction project. And by that, I mean building uh, junior accessory, junior units in the main residence and accessory dwelling units uh, aside the main residence. So there are two sources of income coming to the main property. Uh, it can also be that the, that the accessory unit becomes a place over time where the main occupants of the property move and then run out the main residence. So uh, we're hoping to add more housing and, and 
obviously add more income to people as they are presented with additional construction costs. Yeah, that seems like a really elegant win-win strategy. So I would think that a big need in in a, a shift in the way people think about development, whether it's building a junior second unit or building more energy efficient, putting in renewable would be the outreach and education process. So can you talk a little bit about how you're engaging homeowners and developers in this rebuilding process to think about a a new, more resilient way of building moving forward? That's an interesting question. And I think that at least from the city's perspective, we're still working on that Um, and we're kind of feeling our way through it. Maybe Tennis will agree with me on this. Maybe he won't. But uh, we're all learning an awful lot through this process. I don't know anybody here who's been through something like this before. So, um, you know, we're, we're figuring it out as we go along. And, and we need to do a better job getting, getting the word out about how things are working. You know, I, I think that we are, we're doing okay. And then I'll run into somebody who hasn't even heard that they can come down and get their questions answered in a separate department. Uh, that they can make a, an appointment to do that, uh, that they can find all kinds of resources right here in a, in a separate department at City Hall that's devoted to rebuilding the 3,000 houses that we lost. So we're, we're going to keep working on that, Kate, but I don't think that we're there yet. No, I, I totally agree with the mayor. You know, we're, we run into a lot of people who are confronted um, with the biggest loss in their life, and now are confronted with the biggest financial challenge of their lives in rebuilding the homes. It's incredibly uh, complicated to get through the insurance adjustment and claim process. And then to, even as simple as we are making it with the outside permit centers for the city and the county, it's still a task in this very constrained market to line up architect, engineer, general contractors, and then view of all the aspects of your daily life. So we just have to keep doing our best to push information out in social media, print media, and as, as Chris said, make sure that we're just honestly confronting all the new issues that come up. And the other great thing I would say is that the city and county, uh, you know, we did a lot of emergency preparedness training before this incident. We worked very closely together during the response, and those relationships and friendships are really becoming important now as we're moving into recovery. It, it really has forced the city and the county to walk our talk as far as as collaborating, and I think that you know it's going to pay off in the long run uh, for for both both of our agencies or both of our governments. One one thing that I wanted to add about you know kind of the the outreach to the community is you know people are are resilient and resourceful, and neighborhoods both in the city and the county are are banding together. People are, are figuring out um, how to set up their own communication lines with each other. Uh, na- neighbors who have been really torn apart because they're not living down the street from each other anymore. They're staying in touch. Uh, they they have block captains and, and block groups, and they're talking to builders together. Uh, some of them are, are negotiating with builders together. So it doesn't all have to come from from local government. That's a good point. So you guys both talked about, you know, the lessons you're learning real time. I'm I'm wondering at this stage if you have any thoughts, any any advice for other communities out there. If, if you could have talked to yourself uh, pre-fire, what what do you wish you would have done to 
better prepare yourself for this kind of disaster. Certainly no one, no one wants to be in this position. And unfortunately, and communities are more likely to be in this position now with having large scale disasters like this. So wondering if there's anything we can teach other communities about what you've learned. Yes, I would be happy to respond here. I tell you, the lesson, well, one is train and be prepared. So for years, the city of Santa Rosa and the county have been training together for emergency preparedness. We have at times three full day seminars together responding to different types of incidents. My agency alone, which staffs the plan section in the emergency operations center uh, and has a number of field specialists, we have 40 people who in addition to their day jobs are trained and certified in emergency operations. It was really important during this incident to have those because uh, five of our staff members uh, some of whom were emergency operations staff, lost their homes. They obviously weren't available for first shifts, but to their credit, a lot of them came in and worked even though they lost their homes. They worked in emergency operations. They worked in the field. What to impart to others? Tragically, I've been on the phone at all hours of the day with colleagues in Southern California who are facing similar uh, challenges and relating to them the need for a local assistance center as recovery begins. And I think if there's one thing that really heralds the best in public service, it was the establishment of that center in about 48 hours. And it gave people who had lost everything a chance to meet with local, state, and federal officials, insurance industry officials, construction industry officials, so that they could rebuild their credentials, driver's license, uh, social security cards, passports, in addition to getting the records together about the property, and then to start strategizing about how they were going to rebuild. All that happened in one place, um, and I couldn't be prouder of both governments for having um, implemented that. And that's what I've been reporting to my counterparts uh, throughout the state. So from an elected official's point of view, Kate, I would just, I would just tell my colleagues Take your disaster training seriously. Um, I kind of feel like I'm probably typical, and I did my disaster training, and I, you know, paid a certain amount of attention to it. But I wasn't thinking really that I was ever going to be in this position. And the most important thing for me is to pass on to another mayor out there somewhere: know what your role is in a disaster. As important as knowing what your role is, know what your role isn't as far as uh, being part of, of the emergency operations apparatus. Because, you know, a lot of people have jobs to do. And for, for me, anyway, I did not have a role at the emergency operations center. What my role turned out to be is what it is pretty much every day, is to, to be in touch with my constituents, to uh, be a spokesman for, for our city. But where I found the the problem was is that there wasn't a a direct tie between me and the information that was going on. And in the first forty eight hours of this, there was a, a whole lot of of information coming from all kinds of sources, but there wasn't any official source to hear it from um, for me. I was getting calls from around the world, from media around the world, wanting to know what was happening in Santa Rosa, California. And here I was, the mayor. And I was having a hard time finding out myself. So that's that's the kind of preparation I think that that people should make in advance 
of a of a disaster and before it happens is understand what you're supposed to be doing and how you're going to be able to do that how you're going to have those lines of communication open where they're going to where they're going to come from and how they're going to work because even if um, even if I'm not in charge of the emergency operations in Santa Rosa I'm still the mayor during those first first 48 hours and and I was a little bit out of the loop frankly well, great advice. Thank you so much for, for sharing your time and, and your advice and input for other communities. I think our listeners will have learned quite a bit. Unfortunately, we are now at our time. Mayor Corsi, Tennis, thank you both for joining us. And thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.